We're in the series of Church Matters, and we're, we're looking not just at um, why church is important, although that is a big part of what we're doing. We're, you know, we're coming alongside our culture or society saying, does church matter? Does it really make a difference? Why, why do we, you know, as, as Cindy and the, the kids are doing, what, what is church and what does church do? Why is it significant? But more specifically, we're, we're trying to turn the lens down to a very detailed uh, focus of why do we do what we do here in our particular location. Um, I don't want there to be any questions or any confusion as we go forward as a church to why it is the things that we focus on and why we do what we do. And so that's what this, this series is about, and um, today we're going to focus in on worship. Um, but I want to start by telling the story. When I, was in, when I was in college, I somehow ended up to be the teen teacher, youth leader. I never really embraced that term. For, for the church that I was attending, there was a handful of teens, and um, Wednesday nights I was responsible to teach these teens something about God. And uh, it was never my strength. I never had any ambition to be a youth pastor or anything like that. Like, I found teenagers to be kind of weird. Um, even when I was a teenager, I didn't really, like, feel like I fit in. Like, I was always more interested in the adult conversations. But, um, so I found myself teaching these teens, and it was the first uh, Wednesday night of, like, spring that was nice. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of come through the winter, and it starts warming up, but it's still kind of cruddy. And then there's this, that day where it's like blue skies, a warm breeze, green grass. You know what I mean? Like that, that first day where new life kind of comes uh, all at once. And so the teens were begging me um, to go outside for their lesson. Uh, the teen room was kind of in the basement of the church and kind of had a little basement window and it was kind of dark and dingy and a little bit basement-ish. Um, and so going outside, like, that was a big, a big transition, um, especially on this nice spring day. And so we went out and we sat in the grass lawn in front of the church. And the lesson was uh, about prayer. That was what I had planned on talking about, about hearing God, about talking to God, having conversation with God. And as I started in with the lesson, I realized that, None of the kids, none of the teens were paying any attention to what I was talking about. Uh, there was cars driving by. There was grass to pull out and throw at each other. Um, there was dandelions. There was bugs. There was birds. There was really anything. I mean, just even watching the grass grow seemed to be more interesting than what uh, Tanner was trying to teach them. And at first I was a little bit discouraged, but then, you know, we'll call it Holy Spirit or divine intervention or whatever, but I had a thought, and so I just kind of kept going with my lesson and I got to the end and I said so what did God say to you through this lesson what did you learn and everybody's like oh we were just way too distracted by all the other stuff we could be paying attention to um, and so it, I, to me it was ironic maybe divine like I said divine intervention to have a lesson about listening to God about speaking to God about prayer, relationship, in a moment where there were so many distractions um, that nobody was listening. Um, and in reality, like in our lives, you'll have moments where there's big, uh, big moments, big events that grab our attention. Like, oh, God was in that, you know. Um, you know, things come to my mind. I was in a car accident when I was uh, 20 years old, and it 
could have been, probably should have been a lot worse than it was, and it's easy for me to say, oh, God was with me that day. Um, these big moments that grab my attention, um, and you probably have a few of those in your story as well. Um, but while sometimes God is revealed in these big moments of our lives, there are many distractions that prevent us from seeing or hearing God in the everyday little moments of our lives. The world has a lot of noisy, a lot of exciting, a lot of outrageous attention-grabbing things these days. It's going on all the time. If you, um, I've heard people say that the young, younger generations, they're concerned about their, their development because they're never bored. Like boredom is the, the motivation for creativity and younger people never have to be bored. There's always something to attract our attention, something to focus on. And so there's all these attention-grabbing things going on all the time and it's a contributing factor to our ability to hear and see God in our everyday lives. But God has called us and, and has given us a way to live that can overcome the noise. God has provided a way that, to live that can redeem the activities, that can provide uh, meaning and purpose to these everyday routines of life. God has invited us to live a particular way, engaged, encountering him. And that way of living is called worship. I'm going to dive deeper into that, so don't go, well, I know what worship is. Um, but the problem is not that worship cannot overcome the culture of this world, right? Like, it's not that the way that God has called us to live, when it encounters the noise and the busyness and the outrage manufacturing that our world uh, generates, that worship can't overcome that, that the way God wants us to live isn't powerful enough to overcome that. Worship has not been proven to be a waste of time. It's not that worship is ineffective. The problem isn't with the power of worship in the life of a Christian, but I think the real challenge, the real problem is that our definition and understanding of worship has become too narrow. As individuals and as a church, I think this narrow definition of worship makes us a little worse off than we could be or should be. Some of the wrong definitions of worship that we land on, whether intentionally or by accident, would be something like, worship is a type of music, right? So if I go to my Spotify playlist or Pandora or the radio station, find a worship music, it's a genre of music, it's a type of music, it's a style, right? Worship is a type. Of music, or worship is, is what we do for 20 minutes before the sermon. That's, that's the time for worship. Like, we'll go to church and this block is worship. Um, worship is what we do in a special room in a special building. That's how, what we define worship as. We go to that place in that one location and we do those things, and that's worship. Um, maybe worship is defined as something we do because the countdown timer reaches zero. Like, oh, it says zero, we better start worshiping. Um, worship has become a very specific activity that we do at a very specific time in a very specific place. And like I said, I, I think these, these definitions, there's, there's something to them, like that's a part of worship, but it's not the whole thing. And I think this narrow definition kind of leaves us missing something. But fortunately for us, we have 2,000 years of Christian history 
that demonstrates how Jesus' followers encountered God through worship. So we have this history that helps us to reignite our imaginations, to uh, live our lives of faith through a deeper and wider understanding of what worship is. Uh, Today we're going to look at the scripture, just two verses from Romans chapter 12. Um, If you've been around the church for any length of time, these might be familiar to you. Um, It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. Um, in a culture, in a society, in a, uh, a time to live that is noisy and busy and loud, that seems to demand our attention, to demand our energy, um, your word is this quiet voice that continually calls us back to you. And if we are willing and able to tune our ears in, we can continue to hear you speak to us. So speak to us this morning as we have uh, tuned our hearts, tuned our souls to the, what you have for us. May we hear and see your grace at work in our lives. We thank you and love you. Amen. So one of the things that I think is important, and I hope you guys have been a part of the church since we've been here, at least, have picked up on is that like I put a lot of value on what the scriptures um, are trying to say in the original context, right? I, I'm not a big fan of saying, well, what does this mean to me without understanding what it, why did the guy who wrote it or whatever mean when they wrote it? And so when we have large groups, large chunks of text, like many, many verses, you kind of get a big picture of what's going on in that text. But today it's only two verses, and so I think it's important for me to provide a little bit of context to what's going on here. I don't want to walk away and feel like I've misrepresented what Romans chapter 12 is all about. So Romans, this, this entire letter, was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to Christians living in Rome. And he probably wrote this while he was in Corinth on his third missionary journey. There's some debate about that. Most scholars think that's what was going on. Um, Probably around the year 57 AD. um, It might correspond with the events of Acts chapter 20, like verses 2 and 3, if you wanted to kind of lay a timeline together. But so it's, it's, it's Paul writing to the church in Rome. And he wrote because he was trying to um, address a lack of unity between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in Rome. There was a division there that had happened because of the culture of Jewish Christianity and the culture of Gentile Christianity. They were distinctively different, and that was a problem for Paul. Uh, He wanted the church in Rome to become the base of operations um, from which he can maybe go on to Spain and other missionary journeys. And so he's writing to kind of introduce himself and establish some expectations for the church there. It wasn't a church that he started, but it was a church that he cared deeply about. His ultimate goal was to preach the gospel um, and wanted the church in Rome 
to embrace that as their mission as well. And he longed for this church comprised of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians to be faithful together to what God was calling them to do. And so in the section that, that our scripture comes from today, he was talking about righteous practices. Not, so it's, it's funny to me, as you, you, I grew up in the church studying the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, like it was always explained to me that that's where doctrines come from, right? He was all about ideas. He was all about um, theology. Like it, Paul is the basis of, of the right ideas, doctrines. But in this section, he's talking about practices. How do we live? How do we live righteously? And so um, in this section from chapter 12 to chapter 15, he's talking about living as Christians and what practices we participate in. In, ver- in chapter 12, he talks about living righteously as the church in the body. He talks about what it means to be part of a, a body of Christ. In chapter 13, he talks about righteous practices in the world. What does it mean to, to live faithfully as we engage with the world? And then 14 and 15, he talks about living righteously with others that are different than us. And he uses the language of weak Christians and strong Christians. And how do we relate to each other? And our scriptures, uh, the, verse, the two verses that we read today, help us define worship better. That's why we looked at it today. Like I said, I think our, our definition gets too narrow at times. And, and these two verses will help us maybe breathe some new life into it. It's maybe a balloon that has shrunk in on itself a little bit. And we're going to blow it up a little bit more. Um, but I think some other translations may help us. So uh, whoever's on slides, we're going to go through these relatively quickly. All right, so this is New Living Translation, uh, verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. The next version we have is the New Revised Standard Version. And we're doing many verses, or many different versions to, to get a flavor for how things are translated to kind of, like I said, give a a wider definition of what's going on here. He says in the NRSV, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Another translation is the uh, New American Standard Bible, NASB. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then just to add some flavor, um, the message. Uh, this is verses one and two. So are you guys familiar with the message? It's a paraphrase. So it's not like a word-for-word translation. Um, the author of the message took the idea and wanted to put it into modern English, like conversational English. Now what that means is he doesn't always break it out verse by verse. So we get verses one and two here. But I want you to hear what um, the author, Eugene Peterson, um, is doing here in the message for us. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, 
fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So a pattern emerges here. Uh, And I hope you guys were picking up on it as we were going through the different translations. In response to the gracious things that God has done, or with the assistance of the gracious things God has done, present your body, yourself, the thing you use to do all the stuff that you do, right? Present that to God. And present it to God in a way that is holy and pleasing, right? So we've got God doing gracious, merciful acts that empowers us, enables us to present our lives, our bodies to God. And we're invited to do that in a way that is holy, set apart for God's purposes is what that means. Godly in nature, reflecting who God is, right? And then Paul says this is our true and proper worship. When God talks about worship, when the Bible tells us to worship God, Paul is saying responding to God's gracious works is the truest definition of worship. God's moving in our lives is holy grace. God working in our lives is mercy. And holy worship is a response to that revelation of God's grace in our lives. We as Nazarenes have a a doctrine that talks about prevenient grace, about this grace that goes before us, right? That in our sinful nature, we were unable to do things, but God is at work preparing the way, empowering us to eat, to see and to hear what God is doing so that we can respond to it. We have built into our very core as Nazarenes an idea that God is at work and through grace and mercy we can respond to God in proper fashion. Not only does the work that God does merit our worship, like, oh, God's a good God, so he earns our worship, but the work that God does also enables, equips, and empowers us to worship properly. Some of the translations that we looked at said in view of or because of God's mercy, worship. Other translations said by or through or with the help of God's mercy, worship. Regardless of the translation, there's a pattern here of revelation and response. God is at work, God is revealed to be working in our lives and our worship is responding to that work. We see God at work, we experience God at work, we hear God at work, and we respond by offering our bodies, our everyday ordinary activities, practices, thoughts, and plans. We offer that back to God. This is worship, according to Paul. And you see how this is radically different definition of worship than worship is a type of music. Uh, Worship is the songs before the sermon. Worship is what we do in the sanctuary of the church. You see the contrast between how Paul defines worship and maybe just our assumed definition of worship today. And in in case this this different definition isn't taking root or it feels unfamiliar or awkward, remember that we were just looking at verse 1 through this process. Verse 2, Paul uh, makes mention. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
What does it mean to be conformed to the pattern of this world? Now, I'll tell you when I became familiar with the scripture, um, the pattern of this world, in my mind, I was drawing pictures of evil people doing bad things. Like, don't, don't be like those evil people, don't, doing those bad, don't do those bad things. But the word pattern here needs to be explored a little bit. Is there a pattern to your life? Is there a pattern to our life together? What are the routines, the habits, the practices? Is there a shape to our lives? Is there uh, a shape to your relationships, to your values, to your expectations? Does your life tell a story? What shapes that pattern? What informs that direction, those values? What story does your life tell? What informs the routines, the habits, the practices that shape your life? What gives meaning and priority to the values and decisions that you have, that you make? Paul says that the practices, habits, routines, and story of our lives should be in response. It should be a surrender, a sacrifice, an offering, because God has been gracious to us. He says our lives should be shaped Our lives should be a story of responding to God's mercy in our lives. He says that's the proper response to God's work in our lives. And he calls that proper worship. Our proper worship starts with a question. What is God doing in this? Our proper worship then becomes our response. Right? What is God doing in this? How do I respond? If we have a conflict with a coworker or a family member, we ask the question, what is God doing in this? How do I respond? If we see people who are obviously wrong posting stuff on Facebook, <laughs> what is God doing in this? How do I respond in a holy, God-glorifying manner? If others in the church aren't doing what I think they should be doing, what is God doing in this? How do I respond? If my finances are a mess, what is God doing in this? What is my response? If my health is not what it once was, what what is God doing in this? What is my response? If the world is changing and I don't like the changes or I feel lost and I don't know what to do, what is God doing in this? And how do I respond? If my political party or my candidate doesn't win, what is God doing in this? Do I see God at work in this? How do I respond? Or if I find out that I was wrong about something or that I hurt somebody's feelings, what is God doing in this? How do I respond? If I'm in line at the store and it is taking way longer than it should, What is God doing in this? How do I respond? Worship, according to Paul, is a response to God's presence and work in our lives by surrendering our whole selves in such a way that our lives are shaped into a pattern that looks like Jesus, right? If our idea of worship is limited to singing some songs for 30 minutes on Sunday, we are missing out on the life God has intended for us. 
we can put the next slide up. Worship is always a response to what God is doing. What I want you to know today is that God is at work in our everyday lives. Worship is always a response to what God is doing, and God is at work in our everyday lives. Worship is a mode of living that gives us the lens to see God at work in our stories and invites us to respond in a God-shaped, in a Jesus-shaped way. So for us here at First Church, there's going to be an emphasis on identifying and responding to God's gracious work in our midst. I believe God is at work in our congregation. I believe God is at work in our church. God is preparing and equipping us for a very specific mission, for a very specific task, and we're going to emphasize, we're going to focus, we're going to pay as close attention to that work as we can so that we can respond, so that we can be shaped. Our story can be the story that God wants us to tell. And so today... You've noticed the service is not the usual format. In a few minutes, I'm going to conclude the message and invite the worship team to come and lead us in several songs. We've got a few minutes still, but um, anytime I, that's usually a transitional phrase for the worship team to get ready. Um, That's not what's happening here. Um, But this service is backwards. It's upside down. We put the bulk of the music at the end because I wanted this to be a time, a service of response. I wanted to, to model, I wanted to not only give you a few minutes at the end to go, oh, you know, okay, what's God doing here? But I wanted you to have multiple songs, to hear the words, to hear scripture read in response to the word that was proclaimed. And so, I don't have a catchy name for this, it's the backwards worship service or the upside down service or a service of response, but... That's what we're doing today. In addition to that, I want to uh, introduce something that I've, I've done at a previous church and I really love the impact this had on the congregation. Um, introduce the idea of two altars. Um, during this time of response this week, but also going forward, I've noticed we have two different altars and usually it's like if you're on this side of the church, you pray at that one. If you're on this side of the church, you pray at this one. I want to redefine that for a moment. And so during this time of response or any Sunday going forward afterwards, if you just need to go up and talk to God about something, whether it be thanking God for something great that has happened, asking God, I can't see what you're doing in this situation, give me clarity, give, let me see what you're doing, um, or saying I need something from you, you just need to come and talk to God. You can come. I'm going to ask you to, to come to this altar. And if you come to this altar, nobody's going to assume anything about you. We're not going to, oh, they messed up this week. Right? We're not going to do that. <laughs> um, but if you come to this one, on the, the left side where you're sitting, uh, I'm trying to figure out some way to, to indicate that. I'll, in the future, I'll have some sort of marking there. At my last church, I had a, a cross there. And what I would tell people is, if you come to there, I will meet you at the cross. And I will ask you, how can I pray with you and for you? Right? And so... Uh, that's going to be kind of the, the routine going forward. If you just need a moment to pray without anybody knowing what's your business, you just need to talk to God, you and God alone, you can come to this one. If you want a pastor or somebody to pray with you, you come to this one, and I will meet you there. Or if, I'm, if there's more than you know, one or two people there, I'm sure there's other people in the church that will help come and pray with you. We have mature 
spiritual leaders in this church that would respond to a need. But just by choosing which altar you're coming to, you are declaring what your needs are. So those are the two altars. And I'm going to ask Pastor Hannah in the, in the future services when we're in the other order where we're worshiping before the sermon to remind us of those two altars on a weekly basis. Like I said, worship is going to become a point of emphasis. It's going to be core to our identity as we seek to be faithful to the mission that Jesus is calling to. I mentioned Pastor Hannah a moment ago. One of the things that I, I want you guys to, to know that has happened, some of you know this because you're part of board meetings or whatever. Um, we've given Pastor Hannah kind of a new direction in her role at the church. We've changed her title, and it's more than just a title, though. Hopefully the title reflects the purpose. She came as music minister. Is that what the title you were hired in? The first title was music minister, which she was hired in. And then under Pastor Ryan, she became associate pastor to kind of help fill some of the areas in the church that had needs. And recently I asked if we could, again, morph that role, that position. And her title now is Pastor of Worship and Engagement. And I've tasked her with the board's approval of helping us focus on worship as defined by Paul. Being attentive to what God is doing in our lives and acting in response. So, for example, from the new job description that Hannah received a few, um, well, months back, um, one of the lines says, educating and equipping the congregation to worship as part of their daily lives, experiencing God through worship in ordinary and everyday settings. I told her, that, that's part of your job now, teaching the congregation to worship in their everyday lives. And I was very clear. I said, I have no idea what that means or how that's going to work, but that's your job now. <laughs> So she gets up in the morning and thinks about how to help us respond to God's grace and mercy in our lives, regardless of where we are or what we're doing. Because worship is always a response to what God is doing. And God is at work in our everyday lives. Another uh, line from her new job description is develop and coordinate opportunities for the congregation to grow in their engagement with God, engagement with each other, and within our community. And so Pastor Hannah has already started thinking and brainstorming and connecting, trying to figure out how to invite us to engage with God, engage in fellowship with each other, and engage um, in our everyday lives. Whether it be service or, or social fellowship, whatever. Um, because worship is our response to God's gracious presence. And that worship, I, I believe this at the very core of my uh, being as a pastor, I believe that worship will define who we are as a church. We've been asking the question that our culture is asking, does church matter? And the answer this week is that church matters because there is no other community, no other organization that enables you to comprehend what God is doing in your life and to respond in proper manner. Where are you going to find that elsewhere? You're not. Church matters because there's nowhere else that you are going to see God revealed and have a community of people that are determined to help you see God's work in your life and invite you to respond. In order to see and hear God well, we must choose to pay attention to God's presence in our lives. And so the two questions that I want you to learn 
inside and out and become part of your everyday. Anytime you feel frustrated, anytime you feel excited, anytime you feel uh, afraid, two questions. What is God doing in this? How do we respond? Things aren't going my way. God, what are you doing? This is harder than I thought it would be. God, what are you doing? This is great. Some fortune came my way. God, what are you doing? How do I respond? What do I do next? And so the invitation for today and for every day going forward is to participate in the practices that provide you the ability to comprehend God's work in your life and to provide you the opportunity to respond in genuine worship. You can't respond to, this is the lesson that those teens in the grass learned all those years ago, is you can't respond to something if you don't see it or hear it. So commit to participating in those practices that allow you to see and hear what God is up to so that we can respond in worship. Well, what are those practices that allow us to see, hear, and understand what God is doing in and through our church? Well, off you know, the top of my head as I was thinking through this, prayer is a big one, right? Which is why we started Wednesday night pause for prayer. It's not exciting. It's not very entertaining. Uh, some of the stories are, are kind of funny and whatever, but it's a little bit of social time. But behind pause for prayer is a core belief that through prayer we're going to understand what God is doing in the lives of our church, the lives of our church people, and gives us a chance to respond by carrying one another's burdens and lifting it up to God. Um, we created a Facebook prayer page a while back, and um, if you're not a part of that and you're on Facebook, feel free to look it up and, and join. Um, it's not been super active lately, but I want you to know if you remember that, you can share requests out that way. You don't have, it's not just a, a bulletin one-way thing. Like You can share requests to it. Um, the two altars is a way to see and hear what God is up to in our lives. And then just throughout the week, praying for others. Many of you receive a sheet every week of some of the prayer needs in the church. Just taking time to pray for each other is a way to see and hear what God is up to in our church. Another practice that allows us to see and hear what God is doing is just the practice of study. Right? So many of you attend Sunday school. Some of you are in the Young Adults Connect group, right? We explore what God is doing in those classes and groups. Could be through individual study, a commitment, say, I want to learn more about this, so I'm going to get a, a book or check out something on, online or just read the Bible and study it for myself. You might say, I'm going to have a devotional time, so uh, at this specific time, I'm going to read and pray and kind of study all at once and have this devotional time. Another practice that allows us to see what God is doing and hear what God is doing is to serve others. I in, enjoy the conversations that I have with the, the food pantry folks. I mean, they have a good time with each other, but to hear the stories and hear you know, Peggy and others talk about what God is doing in and through the lives of the people that come, but also through them as they serve. You, know, you see God at work in very real ways, um, so serving others is probably one of the best ways to see what God is up to and invites us to respond. Uh, activities, practices like communion is a great way to see and understand 
what God is up to. Being generous is a great way to see what God is up to, to see God's grace and mercy in your life. And then fellowship, just being with other Christians tunes us in, helps us see, helps us hear where God is being gracious and merciful. Because we can't respond to what we can't see. We can't respond to what we haven't heard. So I'm inviting you to take inventory. Pay attention to how often do you worship during the week. Not how often do you listen to worship music. Not how often do you attend a church service or how often are you in a sanctuary, but how often do you respond to God's grace? How often is your life transformed? How often is your life shaped by God's gracious work in your life? How often do you seek to understand what God is doing in your life? How often do you contemplate what your response to God's work should be?